program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. The Share Your Hotness podcast is brought to you by Van Garrett Media. Hi, I'm Chris Van Garrett, founder and chief marketing officer of Van Garrett Media. If you're a business owner or a knowledge worker, you know that crafting your own voice and message around your brand is absolutely crucial to your success, especially in the COVID and post-COVID era. But how do you do all of that at the same time still work on your business instead of in it? Don't have a website? Is your logo one of those $50 specials from Fiverr? Was your tagline just stolen dialogue from a 90s sitcom? Hey, we've all been there. You had to start somewhere, am I right? This is where Van Garrett Media can help. We specialize in digital marketing and branding for small and medium-sized businesses. We get to know the root and soul of your business, finding out what makes you tick and why, and then we craft a message that'll make your target audience see you as the solution to their needs. We'll then bring them to you through targeted marketing efforts using everything from social media and SEO to email campaigns to old-fashioned television commercials, radio, and press releases. You can find us on Facebook. Just search out Van Garrett Media, two R's, two T's, or give us a call, 801-386-3896. That's 801-386-3896. 3896. Mention this ad and get a hundred bucks off your custom branding package. That's 801-386-3896 or check us out on Facebook, Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness Podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. I'm over here digging corn nuts out of my teeth. That's why I'm doing that, by the way. Oh, I thought you <laughs> were just finding me attractive. This is my guilty <laughs> pleasure is ranch corn nuts, just so you know. Okay, well, so. if we're in full disclosure, <laughs> which we're recording now, so. Mine are pistachios <laughs> nice. in the big bag that are shelled. Oh, wait, there's more. And, um, oh, those are good. No, those, those are at Costco. So those yeah. Are good. Oh, yeah, Costco, <laughs> Costco, and jojo's oh yum (laughs) that's it that's all i have in here right now okay yeah i was just like sneaking in some corn nuts before we got on and i was like okay you gotta make sure there's no ranch stuff in my teeth yeah you're good you're good and you know you look fantastic okay so i'm gonna start our little intro here so welcome to share your hotness podcast with lena green and my guest tiffany barnes who happens to be one of these people that i love to run with because we both do advocacy for overcoming and preventing sexual abuse. And you actually have a podcast on this. Yes. So um, to get us started, you know, do you want to just kind of tell your story? Because it's pretty amazing. All right. Well, let's see. Where do I begin? Um, From my earliest memory. So we'll say a little before four. Okay. Earliest memory until I was 13 years old. I had suffered all forms of abuse physical, sexual, emotional, mental, you name it. And the listeners are like, that just got deep. Yep. Real really quick. Fast. It got deep. Yeah. And I, and I, to interrupt you, um, <laughs> you are a functioning, awesome human being. So people, it's going to get awesome. It's going to get uplifting. Yeah, Even it's if not you're like, depressing. whoa, no. Yeah. It's going to get awesome. It's not depressing. You guys, there is light at the end of the tunnel. My, I mean, people get that with my podcast. I know you want me to tell my story, but even on my podcast, it's like, Hey, we're focusing on the story of triumph and hope, not the, you know, the, the trauma of it, but we need to hear the trauma of it. Right. To kind of 
resonate with each other and understand yeah. we're not alone in the traumas that we've been through. So where's you know, the hero's journey if they were, you know, everything was perfect. Exactly. So my journey really kind of started at 13 when I realized, okay, I don't want to go through this bullshit anymore. Cause can I say bullshit? Sure. Okay. I think they might bleep you. I don't know. <laughs> I say poopy. Okay. I don't want to so go you you can say your words. I'm okay. only, I'm only, I'm not a fan of the F word because oh, it's no, no, based no. in violent rape. No. And then I actually was listening to something recently that the B word um, that was first applied to humans as referring to black women slaves. Wow. And so I'm wow. like, oh, we can't use that word anymore because, yeah, you know, not that I say it a lot, you know, but I'm like, wow, if that's the first time it was applied to humans, was that kind of derogatory? I'm like, oh, no, can't do that. Well, here's the good news. I wasn't going to use the B or the F word. I okay, think excellent. bullshit is as bad as it gets. <laughs> so, yeah. but um, if you say it with a British accent, the F word, I find it more funny. I don't, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not advocating it. <laughs> Well, it's based we'll in skip over that one. Have you, yeah. anyways? Yeah, I was going to go on another tangent, but <laughs> so from the age of thirteen, I just um, kind of a long story short again, because we don't want this to be a Debbie Downer type story. But um, my mother was a drug addict from my earliest memory, really. When my parents divorced, it got worse. I was seven when they divorced, mm. and uh, my mother's just been very promiscuous in her life. That's what led to the divorce with uh, my my father and her, and just the men that she was with kind of led her into one drug after another. And she's still a drug addict to this day. Uh, so much so that I have two mentally handicapped brothers because she did drugs when she was pregnant with them. So, you know, they haven't had to live full lives is the best way I can put it. I don't use the word normal because normal is so subjective. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so, you know, my mom and just never cared, never really cared about what my grades were, how I was doing mentally, emotionally, any of those things. And uh, there was a morning that she had noticed how long it had taken my stepfather to quote unquote, wake me up. And that was kind of the time of the day that he would, you know, do most of his sexual abuse on me. And um, I thought, wow, that's weird. Like, why would she ask that question? Why is it taking him so long to wake me up in the morning? You know, cause she's never really cared much about me. And so I had this, this voice in my head that said, okay, if you tell her he's going to kill you. And the reason I said that to myself was because that's what he would threaten me. He would say, you say anything to anybody, I'll kill you. you and know, just to clarify, you are nine. At that time I was, it happened from about 11 to 13. Okay. So, so 13, you're 13 yeah. years old. Yeah. So okay. at this point in time in the story, yeah, I'm 13 years old. But for those two years prior, I hear him saying all the time, I'll kill you if you say anything. I'll kill you if you say anything. And he, he had a very violent temper. My mom had been hauled away in an ambulance many a times when they would fight, you know, because he'd kick her through a wall or she'd break a bone. And so if a grown man says to you at 11, 12 or 13, you say anything, I'm going to kill you and you see that behavior, well, you're going to believe him, right? Absolutely. And yeah. so I kept my mouth shut. I was like, oh, terrified. I was terrified. Especially when you'd seen violence on your mother. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I, think, I think there's a little bit of you're trying to explain why you believe this abuser. You yeah. believed him because <laughs> yeah. he grooms your head and he puts violence, you know, it, it, people always say on the outside of abuse, so why didn't you stand up for yourself? 
why didn't you? It's like, yeah, in a normal situation, you take a normal kid. Okay. Excuse me. A kid, not to to use your language, you know, what's normal. It's subjective, but the ideal family situation, they have two parents that love them, that are concerned and involved in their life. And you plop them into an abusive situation overnight. They're going to be like, Whoa, what, what are you doing? Yeah. That's not what happens. These kids, we are both examples of that. We're groomed. And sometimes there was, you know, what they call poly victimization. And so we're not, you know, unquote, confident kids that can say, this isn't okay because the boundaries have been violated in so many ways. Right. So you don't have to defend that because of course you believe that because this was your world. Well, and something I haven't shared very much. Um, I mean, it's in my book, but um, is the fact that his, it wasn't his blood brother, but kind of an adopted brother, you know, how you can kind of choose your family had sexually abused me probably eight to 10 years old. And I had told my stepfather and my mom, and they were like, are you sure you're not making this up? We know that kids have wild imaginations. And so I wasn't believed at that point. And I think he saw that his name was Randy. He saw what Randy got away with. And so he was like, okay, maybe I'll get away with it too. If that makes sense. Or yeah, I mean, that's, there's that. And there's also, he's going to defend Randy so he can defend his behavior. Yeah. So I think he saw, okay, nothing happened to him. So let me start to encroach Cause it was about a nine month to 12 month span between the two instances that he started doing what he was doing. So, right. so there's obviously something in the behavior of the family that they allowed. Yeah. And um, yeah, very. Uh, yeah. So it always kills me when people um, isolate a child by not at least investigating their claims. And the, and I hear that so often, specifically on my podcast, when I'm interviewing people, they say their parents didn't believe them or they felt that they tried to go to them and it was like, Oh no, honey, that didn't happen. Or, you know, things of that nature, which, you know, we're kind of skipping ahead here, but I would say one of the biggest things for people is just to listen, you know? Absolutely. In fact, I think in parenting, people will say, why do you have such a close relationship with your kids? And I'm like, cause when I tuck them in at night, when they were little and wanted to talk about Legos and Teletubbies <laughs> and things that I could care less about, yeah. I listened. Yeah. And I talked to them. And as they got into those years where you want them to talk to you, the habit was well-established. Right. So I was the mom that heard that pills are being passed out at school. I was the mom that heard those things and had to call other moms. Yeah. Say, hey, by the way, your kid ingested nine pills today. Cause they felt comfortable telling you, you know, right. Because I listened. Judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big key without judgment. And you have to moderate your response. Yeah. Like you, in yeah. your brain, you're like, what happened here? And you're like, <laughs> and on the outside, you have this really calm appearance. And you're like, oh, so then what happened? Yeah. But on the inside, you're freaking out. I can, only and I do have that. to say that my parents did believe me and I want them to get credit for that. Yeah. That's huge. And that's, it rare. is huge. It is huge. And sadly it is rare. Yeah. And I think in talking again with people that have been victimized, not only, you know, because he victimized my parents too, just in a different way. You know, your stepdad was victimizing your mom just in a different way. Right. Mm -hmm. And that people don't want to believe that they're victims and people don't want to believe that they have fault and people don't want to upset people. 
Right. Oh, grandpa's molesting you. Well, that'll make it awkward at family reunions. For who? Right. How about and it be awkward we, for me if nothing happens? You know. Yeah, we important. have to be willing to upset <laughs> other people to have the truth have space. Yeah, that's so true. It really is. You know, and and with my mom being so persistent and saying, oh, you know, what happened? What happened? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I came up with excuses. You know, oh, he was changing the laundry. Maybe he was checking the furnace filter, whatever the case may be. And for her to be so persistent and keep asking, I thought, okay, maybe this one time she'll protect me. Mm. Because again, she didn't care. She, I can legitimately tell you, I was a child support payment to her to buy more drugs. That's how I felt growing up. Well, she had chosen the addiction. Yeah. And she might have been able to say the words, I love you. But when we choose addiction, that, that, um, supersedes our higher function of love and compassion. Right. Which unfortunately she didn't say that very often either. <laughs> um, the, I love you stuff, but, but there, there are people who I've talked to who their parents said the right words or their abuser said the right words. But when you've chosen an addiction, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think that. she was addicted to men in a lot of a lot of ways, even till now, because she's never been alone. She's always cheated on one man to go to the next, to go to the next. And I've had this talk with her. I mean, I was what, 13 years old, probably younger than that. And I'm like, mom, you don't need a man. And and how do I understand this in my young brain? (laughs) You know, I'm like, you can live on your own. She's having me fill out applications for her for jobs because she can't write very well. I've never seen her read, you know, she just... It was the opposites for sure. I was more of a parent than a child. Well, Um, and if you're on meth, I mean, it kills brain cells. Yeah. I don't know how she's still alive today, quite honestly, but. Well, I have my addictions. I think we, if we're really honest, we all have things we're addicted to coping mechanisms that we go to. I have crafting. Yeah. I have a decorating problem. (laughs) <laughs> you just come to my house and there's a decorating problem. And I also love the chocolate. Yeah. And so these are my addictions, but I can look at them and say, okay, what are the downsides of these addictions? Mm-hmm. I have a yard selling problem. Yeah. And so I also <laughs> have a very close relationship with our local Goodwill. Yeah. Where I make sure for everything that comes in, something goes out, right? I've created systems around it, but none of those things, um, cause me or have societal downsides. Right. But if I'm spending too much money that I don't have, right. You know, I mean, you can play through it, but I think an honest person looks at it and goes, okay, what are my coping mechanisms? I also have a compulsive need to clean things. Oh, I hear that. You've seen my house. (laughs) I know it's it's beautiful. Right. And so people will come over and be like, why is your house so clean? I'm like, oh, cause I mean, I'm not actually OCD, but it makes me, I I feel, (sighs) yeah it's powerful to me. It makes me feel good. Yeah. And you know, at the same time, you know, we have the basic teenager syndrome of they want to play their video games all the time, but what's the downside of you playing your video games all the time. And so we all have our addictions. We all have our compulsions. So we, on one hand, we can't judge others, but on the other hand is be like, you need to assess what the downside of these addictions are. And sadly, in the case of your mom, she was willing to throw her children under the, under the consequences of her addiction. Right. Well, and it, and it gets a little more sticky after that, you know, I, I told her, I finally told her about the abuse, the sexual abuse and calls him home. We have a meeting around the table, excuse me. He denies everything and gives her a choice. 
gives her an ultimatum and says it's either your daughter or me because she's lying. And she does not even hesitate three seconds and says, you have until tomorrow to get the bleep out of my house. To you or him? To me. Right. I just wanted to make sure, because I knew how that story ended, but I wanted to make sure it was clear to the the listening audience. Yeah. So here I am telling a trusted adult about abuse that her husband, my stepfather is doing the sexual abuse and he denies it like most abusers do. I hate to say that, but that's really the way it goes. Right. And uh, says, well, well, Karen, it's your daughter or me because she's lying. And she says, you have until tomorrow to get the bleep, which that is the bad word that you don't want me to say out of my house <laughs> and uh, has a yard sale and sells all my stuff right in front of me. So you can imagine, of course, gave you the money for your new start in life. (laughs) Yeah, no, gave me none of the money. I actually, you know, so you are 13 years old. Yep. You are being kicked out of your home. Where do you go for telling the truth? How isn't that something? Um, I had a Tootsie Tootsie roll bank, you know, those little cylinder banks that you have like teeny tiny. I had maybe 200 bucks, 200 bucks, $2 or so in there, not 200, $2. And, um, I took that and I remember grabbing a a garbage bag, like one of those big black garbage bags that you put leaves in, in the fall, right. Put some clothes in there and walk past my mom in her yard cell and walk straight to the UTA bus stop. I was, that was out in Kearns where I was going to school and living with my mom and which isn't for those who don't are not in Utah is not not like a trashy neighborhood, but definitely not considered upscale. No, I mean, there was a lot of gang activity, drugs, teenage pregnancy. I mean, I went to Kearns High School too, which. Right, which is, you know, the, I mean, Utah bad neighborhoods compared to, you have a lookout in every corner, like a DC bad neighborhood, yeah. but it is the the more rundown area. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so a easy. kid walking with her trash bag of things <laughs> yeah. may not um, like in my neighborhood that I grew up in, that would, I would have had several neighbors stop and be like, what was going on? Yeah. I never thought about that, but you're right. It wasn't like, whoa, what's this girl doing walking with a trash bag, crying her eyes out, you know, right. and people didn't think twice about it, I guess. I've never thought about it, but you're right. Well, it's because like in my neighborhood, there was a, a, a man, I, yeah, I hesitate on what the appropriate title is that would follow me in his little Volkswagen gold bug every day and invite me to get in his car. Wow. But because I knew how men treated me or should treat me Mm -hmm. in contrast to the fact that my father was not slimy, that the neighbor guy was not slimy. There were lots of really good men in my neighborhood. Yeah. And so he stood out as something that made me very uncomfortable. Come to find out people kind of knew that he was probably abusing his kids Mm-hmm. but didn't have the proof to be able to, you know, there's, there's some sticky layers there for sure. But, you know, mm-hmm. having lived in a, uh, I lived in the hood in DC or right next to it. And people wouldn't even bat an eye at a five-year-old walking around my neighborhood where I live now. And so I just having grown up being able to see the power of that contrast. Yeah. That's a really powerful thing. And so it's one of the reasons I decided I would never raise my kids in the South because of the racism that I saw when I was there because I didn't want that to be an acceptable thing to my children, that it was okay. Right. I wanted to raise my kids in a place where people were treated with respect and value. Right. Everyone. And so if a kid is wandering around here, somebody will grab that child and find their parents. 
Right. But hold them at arm's length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish somebody would have grabbed me and rescued me. That was definitely what I needed because um, my story took more of a dark turn at that point, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, thinking if the person who gave me life doesn't want me, what's the reason for even living? And so I became suicidal. Um, I was constantly told growing up by my mother how fat and ugly and all these things that I was that I don't care how much you try to tell yourself you're not fat or ugly or anything of that nature. You're like a sponge. It just starts to seep in and you start to believe it. You know, that's what my first book's about, because I was told by my grandmother and, you know, that side of the family that I was unacceptable. And that was not my mother. That was one generation removed. Yeah. But media also tells us those things. And we have been sexualized so much as um, now we're doing it more to our boys, but historically women's value have been what our looks are, Mm -hmm. how our ability to attract. So you're 13 years old. You have your trash bag. Yeah. Become suicidal. But where were you sleeping at night? Well, so I jump on this bus. I take it into downtown Salt Lake City, which was actually the end of the road you know, the end of the route, I guess is what they call it. And then I take a little transfer slip to get on another bus. Um, But before I get on another bus, I'm kind of sitting there in downtown Salt Lake City, uh, just off of State Street, which is our main drag, for those of you who don't know Utah very well. Um, And I'm looking at these buildings thinking, where can I sleep? Which one can I break into? Where's, you know, someplace warm, you know, all the things you could think of. And, um, you know, who could I call? I don't really have any money right now to call. That was back when you could use a quarter to call someone or, you know, 15 cents. And um, so, you know, and I'm already distraught as it is. I'm in like a zombie state is the way I like. I felt like I was just kind of like going through the motion. I'm racking my brain thinking where I can go. And I thought, okay, maybe I can go stay with my biological father, which was up in Layton, Utah which is by car, you know, 30 minutes from Salt Lake, 40 minutes right, from Salt Lake. By bus, bus route. Yeah. What time of day is it? Too. What time of so day? It's probably, I don't know, four or five o'clock at night. And it was in October. So, you mm-hmm. know, sunsets quicker, it's getting colder here. And so I jump on this bus and I distinctively remember this moment. I'm sitting in the back of this bus. I'm looking to the west you know kind of out to the great salt lake as we're kind of coming up on this road i would say it's more like centerville area and i'm I'm just like again whoa what's happened i feel like i've had these one two punches and i don't know like how did it come to this in the last 24 hours from me telling you know more than 24 we'll say less than 48 but you know mom saying what's going on to now i'm kind of homeless and my stuff's been sold and mom says I'm not worth anything to her more than a I'm guessing a you did I'm guessing you didn't have a lot anyway no I didn't it wasn't have like lot. you had a guitar and your own tv no. playstation and <laughs> no I mean, your, your stuffed animal and yeah things like that yeah so you know I'm sitting in the back of this bus and I'm thinking am I doing the right thing right now and the reason I asked myself that is because from my earliest memory as I mentioned, until 13, I was abused, right? Well, that first seven years was by my, my biological father until my parents' divorce. I mean, I, re- I remember I was laying on the floor coloring in some coloring books and my dad picked me up off the floor and threw me across the room. I was doing nothing. I was coloring in some coloring books, but it was because he was mad at my mom for something. 
and she was his princess and he never wanted to hurt his princess because she'd always threatened to leave. And so I was the punching bag in a sense. And so he broke my collarbone and my arm. And then I was told to be quiet because I'm crying and my arm hurts and have to go more than, you know, hours until my dad takes me to my grandmother's house because she's babysitting. And my grandmother's like, what in the hell happened to your arm? And takes me to the hospital and finds out it's broken in multiple places. Did you say who broke your arm? She knew who broke my arm. Did, I mean, I don't want to point out the ways that, you know, the supposedly perfect system let you down here, but yeah. Um, did the doctors know that so they can inform social workers? We were investigated quite a few times when my mom and dad were together, specifically when my mom and my dad separated and she was with my stepfather, we were investigated quite a few times, but I was told to tell everybody I fell out of the apricot tree. And we lived on a lot of land that had a ton of fruit trees. And I was known for climbing trees. I used to be a tomboy. I would climb trees. I'd make mud pies. I'd make forts. So nobody batted a night. That's like, oh, that makes sense. Tiffany and I was going to challenge trees. you on something. Used to be a tomboy because I know you well enough to know that we can get pretty <laughs> and we get dressed up real good, but we know how to get dirty and work hard. Yes. yes. So if that makes us tomboys, we're still tomboys. <laughs> yes, I definitely. Yeah, it's funny when I get dressed up like today. I know your viewers can't see me, but people she are like, looks oh, absolutely ravishing. That's Just, you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, yeah, because I'm normally like hoodie yoga pants. You know, that's how I think I interviewed you for my podcast. So anyway, I get the same thing. <laughs> um, okay, so you're asking yourself. I want to ask another question. I'm going to go deep here. Okay you've been asked if you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Logically you can look and say, okay, this is an abusive person, but why in that moment, that thought? Cause I felt like I was going to trade one abuse or one abusive home or environment for another. Right. So it was kind of like, all right, maybe it would be better to be on the street than go to a physically abusive home versus a sexually abusive home and mentally. Right. And, you know, my mom was mentally and emotionally abusive as well. Um, but here's the good news. When I showed up to my dad's house, he wasn't that same person. You know, mm -hmm. my mom, I feel like was a lot, not to excuse anything my father did, because there is no excuse. But I really think that she was a big common denominator to why he put his hands on me so much. And, you know, looking back now, now that I've written my book and talked to numerous counselors and done so many different modalities and healing, my dad really just didn't know how to express his anger. And so again, I was his punching bag. Again, I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's okay. But when my mom was out of the picture, he never laid his hands on me ever again. So when I went and lived with him, he was never physically abusive. I'll say physically abusive. Right. So question, do you know about his childhood? Was that how he was taught to deal with anger? It's hard. I've tried to dig in. I think my dad has, has Asperger's syndrome and has never been diagnosed. He's never been to a doctor in my entire life. He's never been to a dentist in my entire life. So I think, and my family members will tell you the same. Like my aunt, his sister is like, yeah, I think your dad has some sort of autism or Asperger's because he's socially just not there. Um, but mentally, like he can recall a date from a history book and everything that happened or what CD or record something like he's just savant like that. He's kind of a savant genius. Like he's just really smart, but socially he's just not there. The Share Your Hotness podcast is brought to you by Vanguard Media. 
Hi, I'm Chris Van Garrett, founder and chief marketing officer of Van Garrett Media. If you're a business owner or a knowledge worker, you know that crafting your own voice and message around your brand is absolutely crucial to your success, especially in the COVID and post-COVID era. But how do you do all of that at the same time still work on your business instead of in it? Don't have a website? Is your logo one of those $50 specials from Fiverr? Was your tagline just stolen dialogue from a 90s sitcom? Hey, we've all been there. You had to start somewhere, am I right? This is where Van Garrett Media can help. We specialize in digital marketing and branding for small and medium-sized businesses. We get to know the root and soul of your business, finding out what makes you tick and why, and then we craft a message that'll make your target audience see you as the solution to their needs. We'll then bring them to you through targeted marketing efforts using everything from social media and SEO to email campaigns to old-fashioned television commercials, radio, and press releases. You can find us on Facebook. Just search out Van Garrett Media, two R's, two T's, or give us a call, 801-386-3896. That's 801-386-3896. Mention this ad and get 100 bucks off your custom branding package. That's 801-386-3896, or check us out on Facebook, Van Garrett Media. Okay, so again, just because I, I know you can, I know you can take it here, my friend. It, it brings me a lot of peace when you can kind of look at people's past and kind of get understanding into why they are the way they are. Yeah. Because right. I think that temptation is to judge people or to judge history by a modern perspective. Right. You know, why would a woman in 1860 submit? Why would she do that? Well, because if I were there, and yeah. I always joke that if I were there, I would have been so tall. They would have known I was a time traveler, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, I would have kind of stood out knowing that about your dad, that he's not mentally on the, the scope of normal social skills. Mm-hmm. Has that brought some peace to you? It, it's brought some clarity. I wouldn't say peace because even now to this day, he's very emotionally and perhaps a little mentally abusive to me, but I don't even know that he recognizes it. And here's what I mean. So I owned a cell phone store downtown in Salt Lake City. It wasn't the best business decision. It was a $60,000 learning lesson, quite honestly. But um, I remember calling my dad and saying, hey, dad, I've opened up my own business. I own a cell phone store, yada, yada, yada. And he was like, well, whose blankety blank did you suck to get that store? Nice. So like that, and he's or, not talking about suckers. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's or I bought my first house and he's like, why would you want a house? Um, who's going to take care of the yard? So he, he brings me down a lot. Like I have daddy issues in the sense that I'm waiting for him to tell me he's proud of me. And I keep trying to one up myself. Right. Like, oh, I ran the torch and he still didn't say it. Okay. Let me write a book. Oh, okay, she says the torch, she means you know? the Olympic torch when Utah had the Olympics. Just want to make sure you all know how stinking yes. cool that is. Okay. So I had this big moment where my grandmother actually apologized to me. Mm-hmm. I was standing there. I was actually at a trade show selling you know, I sell makeup and I don't love, love the trade shows, but it's a great way to meet new people. And so it's kind of like this rock star working hard moment. And she calls me and I, so I step away because my grandmother never calls me and she's got this different tone of voice than she's ever had. And I realize she's getting to where she's going to apologize. As I'm kind of like, okay, this, wow, she's talking about feelings. This is so crazy. And when she actually says the words, I should have been better to you. Wow. 
there's so many times in my life where I had this whole scenario with her where I would be like, and you know, da 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 and da da, and I would say all the things to her, and she would be like, "You're right, I'm terrible," and you know, those conversations we have with the people that should have been more. Yeah. And the thing that was so interesting is when she actually said these words, I realized I'd already forgiven her. Doesn't mean I trusted her, but that I already decided that her approval was not a factor. Right. And so, yeah, I'm sure you have daddy issues. And in that sense, I have like maternal issues, right? But I know you well enough to know to, to, to call you out on this podcast to say, you know that he's not going to approve of you because the number one thing that dysfunctional people do from a book called, um, it won't happen to me is about alcoholics, um, children, how they marry alcoholics mm-hmm. is that dysfunctional people, like the hallmark of dysfunctional people is they can't believe that somebody else can do better lobsters in the bucket, pulling other people down. And so you've done all of this because you've broken the chains of dysfunction from your family. Does it hurt that they weren't there? But I don't think you're still waiting. Am I wrong? Am I being poopy calling you out like that? No, I don't think you are. Maybe it's not that I'm, yeah, I feel like I'm still, I have forgiven him. I'll say this. I have forgiven him. Obviously, if I'm able to look in a retrospect or introspect, I don't know, maybe it's an introspect and say, I think it's both. Yeah. This is why he did what he did, even though it's not right. Right. Um, and I have forgiven him for those things, but it's just kind of like now that I'm an adult, why can't you say, <laughs> maybe it is, I'm looking for an, I'm sorry, rather than an, I'm proud of you. Maybe it is. And I'm, I'm sorry. Well, it, it meant a lot to me that I got, um, I should have been better to you. I'm, a, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, came with a lot of explanation and, and illumination about her, her mindset. And I think when people don't give us the, I'm sorry, and they're still in our life in some way, it doesn't give us the closure that we want from a movie or a book. That's what it is. And so we still have to deal with people. And so I go to church, you know, every week outside of a pandemic, right. And they'll talk about forgiveness and it becomes this very, almost easy concept to talk about. And I found that I'm able to forgive people much easier when they're not still causing drama. Yeah. You know, I get distance in time and I'm like, oh, now I can forgive you. But if they're still like in my face, causing issues, causing drama, doing silly things that it's like, you know, that that's a harder thing. Yeah. And you already know your dad's not going to in order for him to say, I'm proud of you, he has to say, I didn't give you anything. Right. Yeah. In order for him to say, I'm sorry, I should have been better is owning. That's an, that's a complex emotion for someone who you've just said have Asperger's. Yeah. And that's the thing. So I've talked, you know, I'm, I'm very close with his sister. She's one of my best friends. We're only 10 years apart and she's tried talking with him like, Hey, Robert, like dad never talked to us like that. Why do you feel it's okay to talk to her like that? And he just, he's like, I don't know how to express my emotions. I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. So it just kind of adds to the fact of what we suspect. And he would never go in and get testing. He would never, any of that. His arm would have to fall off me bleeding to death before he'd go, you know? And in a sense, it doesn't matter because what one other person chooses to do with their emotional and mental well-being 
Yeah. It does impact us, but it doesn't get to dictate to us. Right. And I've had lots of people say, so what if he's your dad, drop him out of your life. And that like hurts my heart so much. And I think the biggest reason is he did make sacrifices. Like, yes, that's the part of the story. But once he took me in at this 13 years of age, right. um, He took on a second job to help me live there, to be able for me to be able to live there. And he did what he could with what he had. He had his license revoked because he did a hit and run in my grandpa's truck. So he had to ride to and from on that bus, Salt Lake to Layton every day, four hours round trip, right? Two hours each way, um, just so he could work that second job. So I see some of those sacrifices. I was on the basketball team. He was always in the stands. He showed up to my graduation when it took him three buses and he had to miss the day of work. When my mom lived just up the street from the Maverick Center and was like, oh, does parking cost money? Because I can't come. It never came, you know, and so I see those things that he did do as I got older. And so I think that's part of it, too, is I'm like, okay, but I do see sacrifice. Like, I know there were times where he might have only had a 100 bucks to his name for the weekend when he had my brother and I, but he was like, let's go to the arcade, we, you know, let's go to a movie. He always made sure, and it would be like he had to survive on 20 bucks for two weeks because he spent the other 80 on us, you know, ha- having us make sure we had a good time. Well, and I think, you know, going back to the, the books and movies is that they're the bad people and they're the heroes of the story. Yeah. And the truth is we're all gray. Yeah. Right. You know, we're making decisions every moment throughout every day. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. And mm-hmm. I heard it this way one time that we 80% of the time, if you were a good parent, that's what your kids would remember. And I was like, sweet, I can do 80%. <laughs> and maybe your dad was 60. Yeah. But I think it speaks a lot to your credit that you can see that he at least was trying. Yeah. But he doesn't get to be cast as, you know, a completely bad parent, but still there were things you needed from him. Right. Those are, those are hard. When I have all the answers, I'll I'll put it in a book and make a million (laughs) dollars because human relationships are easy. And I think it's, I mean, so complicated. I think it's easy. That's what I was trying to say for people who are not emotionally attached and see the, the 60 or 65% good he did to say, well, just dump him. Yeah. Um, and for me, I've had to distance myself from people that I think are, there's one individual that I, I won't make it clear who that I think is an excellent person. They are doing great things in their life. They are a great parent but when it comes to me there's such a blind spot and once it spilled over into their treatment of my children I said no for me I would still have them in my life but once they were unkind to my children once they were bringing my children into this then it became I don't really have a choice I I cannot allow these patterns and behaviors even though I think this is an excellent person they're a great person. Yeah. But they were mean to my kids. And we're okay with that. Cause they're just a blind spot when it comes to me. And I can look back at the family culture and see, oh, okay, why da, 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 and explain it all. But I still have moments where I want to call them. And I'm like, wait, my boundary is for my kids. Yeah. And of course, my putting that boundary means they get to have the same boundary of me around their kids. And I would, I would honor that. Right. Right. And but so I think breaking the cycle, which is very commendable because my children wouldn't know a hint if you came up and smacked them with it. 
And they would just be like, something's fishy, but I have no idea what you want. And I, you know, when you start looking at family patterns, like the fact you've been able to talk to your aunt, you can see it's not a family pattern. It's just a dysfunction with how he works and his own pride and shame and how he's balanced all of that. But once we start getting kids, we have to start making decisions based around what do I want for my children? And I don't want my children to have these patterns and behaviors and have them be okay. And that was for me, a boundary. And and you don't have, you don't have kids yet, you know? And so it's easy to say, no, I'm going to keep this person because I'm a full awesome adult who can handle this level of crazy. I can do this because the love I have for them outweighs the negative because the negative is I can process that because I'm awesome. Right. But if you had a three-year-old in the mix, you know, there's one instance where they, they dug into my child to where, you know, she had red marks on her. And this is a pretty mild abusive thing compared to what you're talking about. But I'm like, why would you do that? Right. That's not okay. And then you just kind of start adding it all up and you're like, okay. And for our kids, we have to make different decisions. But at this point, you are the parent for, for what you've described with your parents. Right. And if you step out, who's going to be the person that's the example of how to live a functional life? It's so true. I think too, you know, when he says those sexual derogatory things to me, my mom was so promiscuous, right? And she was his one and only that broke his heart to the point that he's never been on one date in 32 years since their divorce, not one date, because he now lumps all women into that category that all women are promiscuous and they cheat on their husbands. And so that's why I think he goes directly to, well, who's blankety blank. Did you suck to get that? There's there's not only promiscuous about women. That's also making, or or tell me if I'm wrong, because you're the ones who has, you're the one who has conversations with him. Is he also assuming that a woman can only be successful if she uses sexual favors to get there? Probably so. Yeah. Because I have done so much in my life. I mean, a millionaire at a young age and even that, you know. Right. So just to kind of recap, you ended up getting emancipated. You were the first child in the state of Utah to get emancipated from your parent. Your it was mom. the second case at age 15. A, sec- a second case at 15. Have financially managed yourself well enough that through different streams of income, you have your podcast, you have your book, you have a 5013C helping talk about survivors. You also run um, Airbnb business and you do something else too. I'm a realtor. And you're a realtor. So, (laughs) and you were a millionaire by what age? 28. I feel like at the time that we live and that this whole conversation needs to be about what, what actions do you need to take to overcome the circumstances you've been given? That's what we need to be talking to our kids about. Right. And not using what you've been through as a crutch. I think so many people use it as a crutch. Oh, this happened to me. So I can be on drugs or I can rape people or I can't, whatever the case may be. Rip well, you and I were both, um, you and I had this conversation. I think it's the one we had on your podcast. We have been abused enough that we could play the victim card the rest of our lives. We have to wrestle with the whys and the how and the forgiveness and the empathy and the compassion to them and to ourselves that's how you become a better place. I agree. And I love how you also talked about, you're not for, you're not, um, how'd you say it? Where you said that it's not okay what they did, but you understand why they did it. Right. And I think that's a great line. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying, okay, you know, 
because you went through this, I guess it's fine, but you know, I can see a reason behind it. I guess you could say it's cyclical. Right. Right. I, mean, I even see now in business and real estate, um, I have issues with men and I'm in a male dominated business. I mean, real estate is a male dominated business and especially commercial real estate. I've had people that treat me very much like I'm less than because I'm a woman. You know what I mean? And right. So it's kind of like, well, I have masculinity issues because of what I've been through, but now I'm dealing with it in my career. And so I'm just having to learn how to, I don't know, just kind of see past all of that and make my own decision. Cause I'm only in control of how I react to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And realize, okay, well, maybe this has something to do with my upbringing as well. Well, I also think that whenever um, I make this point in my book, that if somebody came up and threw a bunch of poop on you, their fault for throwing the poop. Right. But you can chase after them to try to get them to clean it up. And you're just going to smear poo throughout everything and everywhere you go. Right. <laughs> right. The responsibility for the, the poopiness, for the sexual assault, for the smacking a seven-year-old, for an abandoning a 13-year-old is on the adult who did right. that. Because children are not capable of consent or full responsibility. That's why we protect them, ideally. But the child, however unfair it is, still has to figure out how to untangle the poop that is on them. And that becomes their responsibility for their life of how they lead. And I have noticed that in my life that I have people that are angry with me because I've chosen to become exceptional. So that leads me to, you've done all this stuff. Your family could listen to this podcast. Do they? Um, Your podcast. I, I, I mean, a lot do. I don't know if my dad does. So how do they feel about the advocacy that you were doing and that they don't come off like angels? funny you say that so my aunt who I'm close with so she lives with me she rents out my basement and she was on my podcast and she made it very clear she's like I just want you all to know I was not in the picture when all this was going down because she's my dad's half-sister and I didn't develop a relationship with her until maybe 15 years ago and what right does an aunt or a grandma have over the rights of a parent. You know, I have, I have two nieces that were legally taken out of our family and deservedly so for being abused um, by their parent that I'm related to. <laughs> Do you know, so I'm trying to keep it like, yeah. and even though I knew there were things that were happening, I did not have the legal right. And when they were taken to a foster family and I knew it still was not ideal, what legal rights do I have? Because you can't, you have to have evidence. And the child has to say it too. That's the other part is you can see it and report it and say, you've seen all these things, but until that child says, yes, this is happening, not a lot can be done. Right. And so that's another interesting thing that always comes up when you're talking about abuse, sexual abuse primarily, is yeah. that we would never want false accusations to have root because you should be able to we, you know, it's too easy to say they molested me and ruined someone's career, ruined someone's life. You should have evidence. You, True. you should. True. I get that, that part of but it. But children are incapable of giving evidence that stands up in court. And so I'm always telling parents, you are going to, if you find out that a child, something has happened, you are going to have to be a parent enough to take them to the hospital and get the evidence, which is not going to be a pleasant experience for the child. But what if it's mental or emotional? 
There is no evidence. There, there is, um, there, it, there's no standard for that. And I think if you look around, um, okay, for the state of Utah, have you heard about, I think it's bill 72 or something that just passed that all phones have to have a pornography filter. And a lot of people um, in our state and out of our state think it's a government overreach. Mm-mm. I've not heard about that. Yeah. And I think if you want to get a phone that does not, that has access to pornography, that is your right as an adult. That, that would not be hard to go to Nevada and get one of these phones. Yeah. <laughs> not be a hard thing. But why are we defending the sexualization of women, of men, of boys, of girls? Why are we condoning that? Why is that an acceptable thing in our society? When children do not have the consent because it's proven between eight and 11, they're exposed to pornography. They don't have the same, whoa, I choose or not choose to look at that. And I know that pornography was heavily involved in the man that chose to molest me. And you look at cases after case after case that pornography is a gateway, especially child porn. I think it's great for the state to say, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to make that easy for children to access pornography. What are your thoughts? I haven't had a ton of experience with pornography, but I can see it being an issue specifically, as you mentioned, you know, your abuser that was kind of tied into what had happened to you. I mean, I could see that I was in a relationship, one of my first relationships kind of in college where kind of the same thing, you'd look at pornography before he could be with me in any way. And Mm -hmm. so that's very demeaning. Right. And like, why do you have to look at that before, you know, you're with me? Yeah. That's very, I guess, demeaning is the best word for it. Um, But when it comes to children, I don't think children should have that ability to be exposed to it at all. I mean, you see so many parents in a restaurant here, shut up. Here's an iPad. Oh, here, shut up. Here's my phone. Like I've seen my sister do it and she just hands the kids her phone and they get on YouTube and they know how to navigate this thing almost better than I do. Oh, better. better. And, and no I, offense to us. But yeah. They, and I'm like, yeah. you don't even know what they're watching. Like you hear these horror stories or you see these videos that pop up on social media. We're like, oh, this is what my child was watching. Then peppered in there is some pornography thing. Right. So I think social media and just technology in general, we need to be a lot more careful. Yeah. Um, I'm actually... I saw a meme one time that said, um, you know, it dated the date, you know, it was like 2006 or something like that. If your child was born before then, that you actually were the last last, um, generation of parents able to raise your children free of technology. And I was like, both of my (laughs) kids were at, well, my, what, my one that passed away is not after that, but you know, both of my, my living children. And it's true. We had hours of going and looking at ants and, you know, I mean like little insects and that was their entertainment. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's like, that's like a whole entire topic that is really hard to being a parent is a hard job. It's an amazing hard job. And, and I am so incredibly thankful that I have a partner in my life that I call my husband because partnerships, um, and spouses have a contract, mm-hmm. a legal contract that we are going to, if we try to sever that contract, it's called divorce, right? Right. right? And that was supportive enough that we worked hard enough together to make sure that I could prioritize the time to look at insects. 
Right. I consider that one of the gifts of my life, you yeah. know? And so when the role of fathers is demeaned by our society is not important, you would have a lot to say about that. Right. Absolutely. And people will say, what about if, you know, it's a, a family that, you know, it's two dads and two moms. I'm like, it's a partnership, two people, because at one point, one career might slack or another or physical or help things. Right. But yeah. people need to be involved in raising those people. Yeah, totally agree. I think um, like I can't cook really to this day because I didn't have mom around to show me how to cook, you know, and just even skills of that nature. I think now we're just so, oh, we'll order it on Uber Eats, which I am like VIP on Uber Eats because yeah, well, you're, you're, you're a millionaire by what age again? 28. Yeah. So I'm not worried about you getting to eat, <laughs> yeah. but I make my kids cook with me. I make my kids cook with me because they, my husband knew how to cook. And when I was on bed rest for seven months, it was my church, our church family and his ability to cook that, that made us not starve to death. Yeah. So it's a skill that needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's just so there's, people are so complicated and so fascinating, which is why we're doing this. Yeah. Because here you are incredibly successful interpersonally. You're excellent with people and, oh, you happen to be very successful in your business, very resilient in your business. I mean, 2020 happened and all of your Airbnb bookings went kaput and you figured out how to pivot so much. So they put you on the news and that resiliency absolutely has to go back to that 13 year old kid on a bus to Layton, figuring out, am I making a good decision? Right. Those are amazing, amazing things that happened in your life that ended up working to help you have more success because you chose to decide how you're going to react to things. Absolutely. Resilient is my favorite word in all of all of time. It's my favorite word. But I would say, you know, people around me will say I'm a person that I just don't take no for an answer and I just get back up and find a way. Right. That's part of, like you say, my upbringing. Yeah. And that is no matter what success you're working for, you always pass failure on your way to success, which was one of my favorite quotes by Andy Rooney, a great philosopher of our time, <laughs> you know, because he's an actor, right? But failure is a part of life. Cool. Okay, I have three questions I like to ask people when they're on here. Okay. okay? Oh, yeah. So what would you say, if you know, so this is share your hotness and fire needs three different elements to burn. We need fuel, heat, and oxygen. So what is your fuel? My fuel is helping others overcome abuse one person at a time through my organization, through my podcast, through just letting people know it's okay to speak up. Even if your voice shakes, that fuels my fire and gives me a reason to get out of bed every single day. Love it. Even if your voice shakes, I love that. Okay. So what's your heat, your unique signature? Oh, my heat. Well, I mean, I I'm a Leo, so <laughs> I'm pretty fiery anyways. Um, <laughs> I mean, my biggest thing is I just, I try to live, I, I try to live the way I, I preach, if that makes sense. So if I Absolutely. say See the change you want, you wish to see in the world, which is how I always end my podcast is I'm trying to be my own personal change. So the fire and the light that I'm bringing to the world is I'm being a change one person at a time by at least standing in my truth. 
and giving others a platform to stand in their truth, whether it's pretty or not. I'm not perfect. I am not perfect. Believe me. No one is. I have and the one that was, they killed him for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then also just um, recognizing it's okay to be vulnerable and, and not be perfect at all times. That's a big thing. I love it. Okay. And your oxygen, what you daily breathe in, uh, daily breathe in is I love podcasts. Um, I love listening to podcasts that are uplifting, but also just affirmations. I think that, you know, you are your thoughts. And sometimes I catch myself having, I tend to be, this is my thing coming from my background and you'll resonate with this as a survivor. I have a survivor mentality in prepare for the worst hope for the best. So I go into a situation and I think, what's the worst that can happen? And I start to take, sometimes my brain will go down that path. Oh my gosh, if this happens, this happens, this happens, this is going to be the worst rather than plan for the best. You know what I mean? And I catch yeah. myself with that. So I think that's why affirmations are so important to me. Absolutely. I don't fall into that prepare for the worst. What if the car breaks down? What if this, what, if, you know, and the what ifs that we, and can not saying stuck in that negative story, those yeah. negative pessimistic, which are natural to human beings. That's why we were given a brain chemistry like we are yeah. to help us prepare or just to be pessimists and grumpy. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I would just say, just feeding my brain daily. I love to listen to podcasts when I drive, when mm -hmm. I shower. You know, I just try to listen to things that feed me, you know, give me that oxygen in that sense that are like, okay, now I'm uplifted. So you kind of get yourself out of that darkness of preparing for the worst. What media you consume. Absolutely. I am just like you. I have podcasts going. I have um, history things happening. I'm always wanting to learn my books that I'm reading. Um, I have still not read about the zombies or the vampires or whatever, because I'm like, <laughs> what am I going to learn? Don't date a zombie or vampire or whatever. I got it. You know, I'm trying to figure out there's only so much time that I have with this brain and I want to fill it full of amazing things because I know what it's like and you know what it's like yes. to live where you're accepting the thoughts that are given you and how awful and terrible that place is. Right. And we have to fill ourselves with knowledge and what knowledge do we, do we just entertain ourselves or do we fill ourselves with positive uplifting content? Yeah. It's so easy to empty your cup, but can be very hard to fill it. So I want to share a book with you because you said you read books. I love books too. I'm reading one right now called The Celest Celestine Prophecy. I've heard of this one. I think it might even be on my list. It is phenomenal. I'm about, about it. Uh, it's James Redfield, I believe. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's a book that really will kind of change your perspective for the good because we're kind of talking about this, right? Right, right. Um. Yeah. And for me, cause sometimes I sweat the small stuff. And so also kind of not, I feel like I've even read it maybe back in the 20 some years ago. Cause it's maybe one of the, it's an yeah. older book. Yeah. It's older. And it's yeah. in the back at like Deepak Chopra's on there. <laughs> Some Really big names have read it. So, this book you will pass down from person to person. It's that good. Perfect. I will get it. I will order it again. So speaking of good books, what's the title of yours? The throwaway girl. Oh, okay. I, 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 I'm putting my official order in with a signature from you and I will Venmo you. Okay. Okay. I don't want to buy it from Amazon. I want to buy it from you with a signed to okay. my dearest friend, Lita. <laughs> well, I would love that. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, my friend, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness and going so deep and vulnerable and sharing what a girl with a trash bag that was thrown away and inspiring us with what you've become in all awesome ways. 
Thank you very much. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dong is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening.